Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. I'm Dacia Coffee. As a chief marketing officer, speaker, author, copywriter, and three-time entrepreneur, I've learned a thing or two about influence and impact in the business world. So I want to share with you what I've learned about how to be heard, be seen, and be successful, and introduce you to the people I've met along the way who learned how to unlock their potential. Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. Today is a truly exciting episode. I'm going to introduce you to Cher Hukel, an international celebrity makeup artist. Now, even if makeup is not your cup of tea, you are going to be blown away by this woman's stories and what she has come through. It's what she calls her traumas and dramas, but honestly, she is hands down one of the most inspiring people I have ever had the privilege of interviewing, and this is her first time actually telling her story in a public forum. You do not want to miss this. Let's just jump in. Well, Cher, thank you so much for coming on Corporate Caffeine. I have been ridiculously stupid excited to see you again yes, and to do too. this, like to really like dive into your story and your heart and just introduce people to you because, oh my gosh, I mean, like the second we met, I was like, Kindred, oh my gosh, this woman has to stay in my life. So I'm so excited. I feel so excited about that. That makes me feel so happy. I felt the same way, like just so super over the moon excited about this, just to see you again and to talk because we could probably talk forever. Yes. Oh, goodness. Here we go. <laughs> it's going to be a long episode. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. I know about no. this much, which is a little bit for the people listening and not seeing. Exactly. Um, so we should probably start there with how we did meet. So you are an international celebrity artist <laughs> and I was blessed enough to have you um, work on my face and make me look beautiful for my recent headshots. And so that's how we met. And I had heard of you via reputation and so then hunted Amazing. you down on Facebook. So talk a little bit about what you do because your bio reads like the who's who of Pop culture, entertainment, <laughs> celebrity, like it's so cool. Thank you. Gosh, it's so humbling because for me, I um, I think I just kind of like roll through life that when I do work with somebody who is like so famous, I'm like, oh my God, that totally happened. And then it's kind of like um, on to the next thing. And the, the things that people are like, oh, when did you feel like you made it? Um, are in incredibly like really silly. So I'll give you a backstory really quick. So my name is Cher Hugel and I do um, hair and makeup for celebrities, TV and advertising. So I've done a lot of documentaries. I've traveled internationally. I've been published in five countries um, and counting. It's amazing. <laughs> and so I've been blessed to work overseas. I've been blessed to work with a lot of celebrities, reality TV celebrities, um, sports celebrities. Um, I've been able to just kind of like run in a ton of different circles. And um, as well as I have a corporate background. Mm -hmm. which is super weird for an artist <laughs> to say because people are like, hmm, those are two polar opposite careers. So um, that kind of tells you a little bit about me and where I came from. Um, but you, you had said like the moments where you felt like, oh, I've made it. Mm -hmm. I love that question, by the way. Like, what, you know, what is that? So, like, what have those hold, been for hold you? On, hold on a minute. Let's tap the brakes. <laughs> so how long have you been doing this if you were in the corporate world? Um, so I have been doing makeup since 1994, 94, 95. Yeah. And um, my corporate career started in about 2000. So... Um, to tell you a little bit about myself, I come from um, first-generation American parents, but their parents were Im immigrants. So mm -hmm. I feel like when you have first-generation American parents, they still have some of that old school in them. Oh, yeah. And so I came to my mom and I was like, I want to be an artist, you know, as I'm graduating high school. And she's like, no, you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, um, 
she's like, I don't want you to, she literally told me, I don't want you to have to come back home. Um, and how are you going to support me later in life? If you're an <laughs> yes. Oh my God. And so I was like, oh, she goes, I need you to go. Then my father is like, I need you to go and get a life skill. After that, I don't care if you hang beer cans from the ceiling and call it art. Like <laughs> as long as you can monetize that, then, um, so going to college, I was like, well, maybe I'll be a psychologist or something like that. And then just kind of fell into finance and accounting and real estate and mortgage. And I did that for about 15 years. The total opposite of psychology. Total opposite of psychology. However, it helped me manage people in the corporate world. Mm. Um, So it really helped. And then also kind of, I think God was preparing me to also become a parent. Um, Because when you're a parent, you're essentially trying to rationalize with irrational drunk people is what I call toddlers. <laughs> it's like the worst friend Whoa. you had in college that just got smashed, smashed and like schlitzed at the end of that. You're trying to like drag them from behind the dumpster peeing or off the curb or something. That's what it's like to be a parent to like a toddler. So Now I'm starting to visualize what she sees in the family. Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay. You are not kidding. Just trying to manage people and then apply life skills. Yeah. And and you have to do it in such a positive way. And that's also how you manage in the corporate world as well. Um, I feel like, so you want to make it a positive. You can't just go up to Bob and say, Bob, you suck at your job. (laughs) You have to come with like some strengths even if he has none <laughs> and then kind of circle you know it what, back around you. to uh, so we really need to work on this. You know, if you want to continue to work here, yes, <laughs> yes. Or in life, you know, just yes. So how long were you in the corporate world? Um, I was in the corporate world from, I would say uh, 2002, um, maybe 2001, 2002 until, 2010. Oh, okay. And then I went back to the corporate world after I had my second daughter in 2017 and worked until roughly about 2018, 2019, um, as well as doing hair and makeup for television, um, headshots, stuff like that. So I, I managed a mortgage company and a real estate office and um, still trying to keep up with my own businesses. I. You like that? It's the street, everybody. Yep. <laughs> Cars <laughs> racing down it's middle of Fort Worth. That's great. I love it. It almost sounded like it was very ghostly. Yeah. Like a howl of the wind. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> In a world where. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I could add the sound effects later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what it sounded like. Totally. It's like Sleepy Hollow. Totally. So, okay. So you wanted to be an artist, but you went corporate in order to please your parents, mm-hmm. be responsible. So talk a little bit about, you know, you did end up staying in the corporate world for a number of years. So why, like what made it sticky <laughs> for you? Because, you know, if I was to hear this story, I would think, oh, bless her heart. She's going to last six months. Like there is no <laughs> chance, but you did it. I mean, like that is some serious stick with itness. And then on top of that yeah. to learn and harvest so much stuff from your time there. So like, what was going on there? Like, why were you able to stay? I, um, out of pure fear of disappointing my parents and like this, uh, disappointing like my little Filipino mom was that was far more scary to me than like and so it was like okay well I do like nice things I do like money and I I thought okay well I can make this creative you know and I did enjoy really helping people yeah um and financing about that time was also subprime. So you had to get really creative with your knowledge of things. And then also customer service, like helping, helping people kind of managing, um, a relationship. Uh, and I really enjoyed, uh, networking every report card I've ever had since I was five years old told me talks too much. (laughs) <laughs> define that yeah. I know right so every corporate job it, um, I had a boss his name was Roy Johnson and I he 
worked with Citibank with me for a long time. And I always call him my spiritual dad because this poor man <laughs> like raised me into a strong entrepreneur, a strong corporate woman. And um, he would yell at me from the other side of the office and he would mistake my name for his daughter's name because he was so frustrated <laughs> oh, with me. My. He called me Danielle and he's like, Danielle, I mean, Sherilyn. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what the hell are you? He's like, I hear you talking at the water cooler or the coffee pot or whatever it was. And he's like, get on the phone, make calls, cold call, whatever. And so I was like, gosh, darn it. <laughs> Isn't it, um, to go back to your parents, the pressure mm-hmm. people feel of, um, they define ses- success through their parents' eyes a lot. Oh, and, and of everything you experience in life, I, a lot of people do it. I, I would say the majority of people. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my gosh, am I pleasing my parents mm-hmm. or not? Am I doing this, that, and the other? Um, e- even a school teacher's. Saying you talk too much. Yeah. And now look at the society of where people make a living off of talking, podcast, yeah. um, I was television. Born for it's, this. It's, yes. No, it's the things that you sit back when you're older and go, why did I listen to them? Mm-hmm. Like, why didn't I just roll with what I was good at or what I knew or what made me feel good? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, I don't know if we're ever going to change parenting. Maybe it's the older you get different you look at things yeah. but I don't know it's changed my outlook on parenting my own children yeah so um what I would do with them was foster like their little interests and then um being in in an industry such as like mortgage and and having to have almost like an entrepreneurial mindset because you are your own boss Mm -hmm. um, was then thinking outside of the box and like, okay, you love this. How how could this be monetized? Do you see what I'm saying? So rather than telling, um, I think my parents came from this mindset of 401k, reoccurring paycheck, like that fostered stability. Yes. And that's how you were going to... you know, get by in life. And then I think, you know, kind of our generation, um, people who were born like in the seventies, like, you know, after like the sixties and seventies and like liberation, you have to think about what was going on in the world. Like we were the forefront of kind of like all this other stuff. Like we're going to start a company. There's no spot for me. I'm going to, I see an opening in the market. I'm going to do this. Yes. And so, um, looking at my kids like that, like my, my oldest daughter, uh, wanted to be a circus performer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. So entering into college, she's in her freshman year at ASU. She's like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, what do you want to do? And she's like, circus. And I'm like, no. <laughs> don't go to college. No. So, Just get out there and start flipping around and spinning it, yeah. some things from the ceiling. So she had be done fine. contortion and flipping around and, and aerial silks since she was six. And so I'm like, Maybe okay. Then. She knows how to tear down a big top and per start a circus from beginning to end because in circus, everyone has to help regardless of your spot. So you either pop popcorn, sell it. You have to bring people into your world. So taking some of those like talents and skill sets, like, okay, how do you then um, transfer that to the world? Yes. So she is minoring in business and she is going to do events and tourism. So perfect. Perfect. Right. Yeah. So well, and she's studying. Right it's now. powerful to be able to create magic in plain, ordinary scenarios. In and a, that is yeah. literally what she's been trained up to do. Mm-hmm. So, wow, that could really be something provocative and exciting in really her career. Exciting. So for like me, whenever I was a kid, I had this like huge imagination. I would tell my parents I was going to the bathroom and pretend I was going number two. And I would pull out the the cabinet to kind of like block the toilet and I would have full on commercials and talk shows like, yes, I would read the uh, back of the shampoo bottle. Like, you know, like I was an announcer or something. This like great, you know, uh, imagination. And I was told so many times that that was, I was too sensitive, too imaginative, like rein it in. You talk too much. It's this. So I was always too much or it was an undesirable trait. So in parenting my kids, I tried to take the things that were so magical in their life and make it a positive, but then spin it into where they're not ostracized from the world world. Like how, how can we, um, incorporate this like magic and imagination in what we're doing 
day to day. Well, I think that's such a profoundly important way to look at it too, because it's okay and important to indulge gifts and natural strengths, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we're called to bring value Mm -hmm. and to serve other people. And so you have to have some sort of connective way to say, this is who I am, this is what I bring and this is how it can be good for other people, you know, and like using the word monetize, it's not bad. That's literally like money is just somebody showing you a value what you're providing. Absolutely. So I was absolutely just so unhappy with my job. Yeah. And I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could follow my dream because like, how was I going to make money doing that? And really believed like I wouldn't be able to survive in the world. Yeah. And so, um, I was just terrified. And so I never wanted uh, my kids to feel like that. And all, But also at the same time, there's one thing in, like, encouraging your children and trying to, like, foster all these great things. But as parents, we there's a lot of things. Like, we could be biased. I had a friend. Her name was Tina when I was a kid. And her mom just blew sunshine up her butt all the time. (laughs) Like this kid was the worst singer ever. And she would like, "Eh, like try to do all these runs. And the whole neighborhood was like, who lied to you? (laughs) Okay. So I'm trying also to not be that parent as well. Yes, exactly. There's a practical catalyst. You have to catalyst. Yes. Practicality. Yep. Practicality (laughs) of it. You know, you have to, um, you know, I never wanted, like, we were ruthless with this girl. I never wanted my kids to go into the real world and have people tell them, like, who lied to you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? But so I feel like there's a fine line between that and then, like, that everybody gets a trophy, trophy yeah. like, generation. 100%. I didn't want to do that either. So I wanted to instill um, working hard, a good work ethic, and then hopefully that transfers to it. If she wants to hang, hang beer cans from the ceiling, call art and like whatever. Yeah. Let's figure out how to market that. Let's figure out how to yeah. there because what I've learned in in growing as a person, working on myself, and and being a leader and trying to be a leader in my own industry is um, just I don't know how to say it. like uh, there there is a niche for you. There's a place for you. When you uh, stick to your truth, when you are completely organic and authentic, you attract other people. Like, some, there's somebody out there that digs that weird shit, too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Regardless of what it is. you. And now we can touch the ends of the earth with podcasts, with it's internet. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's kind of like... There's no okay. limits. No. And at all. that idea that... There is a place for you, and it's important because mm-hmm. other people are needing that, seeking that, are going to vibe on that. I mean, yeah. yes, it's so important. We've got a kid who um, we're like, what are you going to do? You, you're yeah. going to go to college. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he says business, you know, just generically. Eh. And yeah. we're like, well, if you want to be a hustler, come up with a business plan. Yeah. Like, you know, we also, can walk Also, what makes you, you happy? That. What makes you excited? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My kid's like money. Yeah. My kid is well, like go my kid is like relaxing on the couch. We're like, like no, no, I'm good. No, I don't need much. And I was like, you will when you have kids. Yeah, like you know, they ain't feeding one mouth. It's gonna be feeding a few. You so know. I have an aunt. Um, I call her an aunt, but she's like a second or third cousin. But she's older than me. Yeah, my mom's side. So in the Phil in Phil the Philippines, we call them ate. So it's like my ate Sue. She was in college, and she was uh, she had this guy friend. And they were kind of see each other on the down low. Oh, yeah. And then she magically turned up pregnant. She's like, I can't take you home to, like, my doctor dad and be like, hey. Um, He was going to school to become a lawyer. And he's like, "Ah, I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. So she's like, look, we got to figure this out because we can't go to my dad and be like, um, yeah, he's going to drop out of school. So she's like, what do you like to do? And he's like, uh, drink beer. <laughs> well, open up winner, a winner, brewery chicken dinner. with everyone else. You know, so he I mean, owns a restaurant brewery in uh, Iowa yeah. now. He, so he, he literally did. He became like a chef and a brewmaster and yes. started brewing his own beer. So I just recently did hair and makeup for their um, third daughter's wedding. And um, he has made a mead for each kid. When they were 
babies and at each and they're all girls he has like four or five girls and each girl's wedding he pops open that maid and everybody and the whole wedding drinks from it that's made gallons of it that's cool He's super successful, so I'm like, if we could take this guy who's like, uh, drink beer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, somehow she fostered him into, like, you know, being magnanimous at it and great. Yes. Monetizing it. Like, we can literally do that with whatever. Whatever makes you happy, let's just figure out how that translates to money, making money. So what was your turning point? Um, I got held hostage in a bank robbery. At gunpoint by five masked men with semi-automatic weapons and walkie-talkie earpieces. You are kidding. I am not. (laughs) Well, okay, that's dramatic. Absolutely. My whole (laughs) life is dramatic. But to go, go, hold on, hold on. (laughs) But to go, that's my turning point. I'm done with this. I'm going to go do hair and makeup. Yeah. Just... That was it. Flipped. So, I, as I told you, is I was, it life's too short? Or com- what? Absolutely. Oh, it was. Okay. I was so unhappy with what I was doing. It had developed dis ease within my body. So, about a week and a half prior, I had noticed that I was having heart palpitations, and um, it felt like my heart was double beating on itself. <sighs> so, I went into the doctor, and I was like, "Look, I don't know what's going on with me. I'm 28 mm-hmm. years old. I'm having this heart." deal so they diagnosed me with high blood pressure at 28 at 28 and I was on the same blood pressure medicine as my dad who was you know at the time I think he was in his 50s or 60s my dad is an old uh, football player and coach who was also a bodybuilder so my dad was 300 pounds at the time like almost six feet tall just jacked and he and I had the same blood pressure dosage of medication it's not crazy yeah not good so she had fitted me with a heart monitor. So every morning I woke up and I put these like pads on my chest and I wore it. It was like a little beeper that clipped on to my um, pants or skirt or whatever. So to give you a kind of a timeline, this is maybe 2007, 2008. And um, I had already gone through a really traumatic time. The Bank robbery happened in February. So if I backtrack a little bit, um, in uh, November... Uh, my ex-husband was caught doing a drug deal with my daughter in the car. Mm-hmm. CPS took my kid. Um, so I was going through like a custody battle along uh, with, you know, I, I knew he was doing something um, crazy when we got divorced, but I couldn't prove it. So in the court of law, they were, it just made me absolutely sick. They were, st- I still had to do reg- regular visitation. So he had her on visitation and she was about four and a half years old and he took her on a drug deal. Well, it was also a sting operation. And so he passed a unmarked cop who noticed that he had a car seat and a baby in the back of the car. So they pulled him over and um, he poured GHB around my daughter's car seat, um, which any one drop that could have gotten on her would have killed her. So um, it's, it, it permeates the skin and would have killed her. And one ounce of it carries 99 years. He had a liter oh whoa, of God. it. And you had no idea. I had no idea. So he poured it around her car seat. And the only way that I knew was... Um, that I'd even found out about it because they were going to actually, they just told him, hey, have a family member come pick up your kid. Well, CPS happened to be on the, the police scanner and had heard about it and was like, well, no way. They uh, intercepted the call and then they had to tell me to come pick up my kid from the police station. Wow. And so because we had a history of domestic violence, they gave my daughter to my parents to keep her safe. And so I lived with my parents, so therefore we were able to stay together. So that happened roughly about November. December 16th, I was raped by a Grammy Award-winning producer that had hung out with me and my friends. He had hit on me a lot, and I kind of thwarted his advances, and I was like, ew, dude, you're gross. I see you with all your strippers and whatever. And um, so that happened. And then January, I was like, I hate my job. Did he get in trouble for this? No. No, I was going through so much. I felt so scared to tell anybody. I was like, somehow this is going to come back around to being my fault. 
Yeah. You know, so I felt yep. so Playing scared the to victim, say yeah. mm-hmm. everything going on. Well, they were like, uh, okay, well, why were you out? Why were you uh, drinking? Why were you at this yeah. place? Why, so, you know? So I was like, okay, I felt like um, I couldn't say anything at the time. So I was like, you know what? All of these things, I think I need to change my life because whatever I'm doing, I'm not doing it right. Yeah. God's trying to tell me something. So I went back to my high school to get my transcripts. I was going to go back to school, back to college. And pulling out of the high school, I was so, like, I guess, despondent from everything that had happened. I pulled out, and a huge Lexus SUV with grill guards hit me right in my driver's side door. It threw me into the passenger seat. I didn't even know it hit me. I just woke up, and they were cutting me out of my vehicle. My glasses were on the other side of the car. I had no idea what happened. Totaled my car. This is January. Then in February, February 28th to be exact, um, they started doing layoffs. And at the time I was working at Citibank when they were still in the state of Texas. I was doing Acorn Housing. So I was uh, originating loans that had to do with people that didn't have social securities. We would do them with their ITIN number. So I was doing 60 loans a month by myself. So about this time is circling back around when I was having like heart palpitations. Obviously, I'm having stress. Shocker. Yeah, no wonder <laughs> oh, you had high girl. blood pressure. So yeah. <clears throat> they diagnosed me. They said that it was hereditary. Put me on medicine. <laughs> I'm wearing I'm a heart monitor. <laughs> and I'm like, I need to change jobs. I need to get the hell out of here. I didn't want to do this anymore. It's super stressful. They wouldn't give me an assistant. Like I was like, I'm done. Um so I started looking into, well, my, my doctor was like, look, you need to find another job. And I said, look, lady, all I know how to do is makeup. She goes, well, I suggest you figure out how to make good money at it. So I was like, well, shit. Yeah. You know, what do I do? Yeah. So, you know, that, f- that was like a Thursday. On Friday, they fired my immediate boss. And then on Monday is when the bank robbery happened. And so they fired Mr. Roy Johnson, the guy that used to yell at me and call me Danielle. And I thought, so they moved me Monday down to this corner office in the middle of the bank from the processing center upstairs. And um, so I'm moving into my big glass office, and I'm like, yeah, this is kind of cool. Maybe I could stay here for a little while. Okay. God had other plans. <laughs> I hear all this commotion going on outside the bank, and so I walk out, and there's actually a huge staircase that comes down the middle covering the entrance to my office, um, and that leads to the processing center. Well, I heard a bunch of commotion, and I was like, there was a, a lady that would come into the bank. She was a uh, like a psychic, mm-hmm. and she always made a lot of noise, and she would yell about her accounts or her overdraft charges, and I was like, oh, there's that crazy lady again. But it it was louder and then it was a male voice and then I was like well maybe Roy's come back to like <laughs> these stir some stuff up yeah. Yeah. stir some stuff up <laughs> and um so I, I walk out of my office and I look to my left and there's a business banker there and he got I look at him I'm like what's going on he goes we're getting robbed and the um the panic button is in your office like, well, I haven't been briefed on this. I don't know what the hell the protocol is for security. And so it looks like a garage door opener. Okay. He goes, it's under your desk. So I'm looking. I'm like, what the hell? So I found this thing. It looked like a garage door opener. It had two buttons. Well, I start mashing them. I'm like, the hell? Oh, yeah. What yeah, the hell is going course. on? Yeah, I don't want to hit the wrong <laughs> one. I'll hit all of them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, there is apparently a protocol. <laughs> That so to hit them simultaneously makes the alarm silent, alerting the police. I pushed all of them multiple times, so it set off an audible alarm in the ceiling for fire like, get out! So it starts ringing, and lights start flashing, and all this stuff starts happening. So I come back out of my office, and I'm like, What the hell? And the guy's like, You did it wrong. And then this man comes around the corner and he has a wave cap tied down around his face. Cool. And he's wearing a flannel buttoned all the way up in gloves. And he's got like this big floppy hat on. He looks like a scarecrow, which the cops ended up dubbing them the scarecrow bandits. So he comes around the corner and I just remember him raising his gun to the side and pointing it at me. And I didn't know what the hell to do. I'm wearing a pencil skirt and a suit. So I'm standing behind my desk. And you know, like when you're playing sardines at church or something when you're a kid and you panic and you, I just ducked. (laughs) I ducked like, 
if I can't see you, you can't see me. <laughs> Maybe he didn't see me. Yeah. Maybe he didn't see me. He'll but I'm wearing me. this like huge Gwen Stefani like faux hawk ponytail, and he could see my hair above the desk. And because I was wearing a pencil <sighs> skirt, I couldn't get all the way down there. Yeah. So he grabbed me by my ponytail and pulled me out and put the gun to my head. Oh my god! And drug me into the center of the bank. And there was a pile of people there. And I'll never forget, there was an, an older Asian woman there that reminded me of my grandmother. And she's like, I can't die today. She goes, my husband doesn't know where I am. And she said, I just left the house and came to the bank. And I felt warmth over me. It was like I was being hugged or like wings, angel wings were being wrapped around me. And I told her, I said, I don't know how I know this, but I know that we're going to be okay. And um, I told her, I said, keep your head down and just be really, really quiet. And this other girl, she's like cussing. And I'm like, shut up, <laughs> shut up or we're going to die. There were five of them total with semi-automatic weapons and bulletproof vests. And they were talking to each other on walkie-talkie earpieces. So it was a pretty big operation. They knew that they needed the assistant manager. We still had one of those big vaults. They locked her inside cool. of that. And shortly after, they took off and nobody was hurt. You know, they kind of roughed me up a little bit. But um, And then protocol is, is you lock the doors after the robbers leave. And then you wait. And so cops didn't come for another 15 minutes. Wow. 15 minutes? Mm -hmm. Where was this? What city? Um, it was in Garland, North Garland. So they're so a populated area. Yeah, and we weren't yeah. near a uh, a highway, which my mom had always told me only banks that are near a highway get robbed. So I'm thinking I'm safe. I'm in the interior city, yeah. part of the city. Yeah. Um, I left that day and never went back. Yeah. I cashed in my 401k and I made a PowerPoint presentation for my very conservative parents and was like, look. No one is going to uh, try to rob me for my paintbrushes. <laughs> so I cashed Good in my point. 401k. Yeah, ever. <laughs> ever, right? Yeah, no matter, no matter what. what's in your bag of makeup, I yeah. don't know. So I mean, I'm sure it's expensive, but exactly. no one's going to steal makeup. Well, in that moment, laying on top of this little lady, I'm thinking, who's going to take care of my daughter because of all the stuff that has happened with her dad? Um and then I'm thinking, if I died today, I didn't do a damn thing that I wanted to do. I didn't do anything. Ugh. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm praying to God going, if I come out of this, I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. And so I asked Citibank for a leave of absence, um, and they told me no. So I never went back to work. I cashed in my 401k. I bought a laptop. And at the time, you could buy a Mac, and you would do like a one-on-one -on -one session. Um, so I went in there to learn how to use my new laptop, and the guy built my website for me. Wow. Isn't that cool? Uh, yes. <laughs> and um, so I went and got these Vistaprint cards for free or $9.99 or something. And I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I just started telling everybody. Yes. I'm doing So at that now. point, um, who, who, did you do makeup for anybody or you just did it on yourself? So it's random. I think when this happened, I was roughly about 26. So when I started doing makeup, I was 17. I had uh, apprenticed at Tony and Guy and I was modeling hair. So I was still in high school and then like graduating. Um, me and my best friend. Well, she took off and decided she wanted to be a makeup artist. And I had fallen into customizing cars and trucks for dealerships. They, I was really good at helping people and had a creative eye. So I would trick out navigators and stuff like that, and I would take them to Valley Ranch and sell them to the Cowboys or whatever. And so I was being sexually harassed at work, and I called her one day, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. So we flubbed this resume for me, and I went to go work at Neiman Marcus. So that was from 17, about 19, 20 years old. So I was doing makeup, and then I quit. And because my parents were like, ah, oh, this is a really cute hobby, but you need to go to school. So yeah. I went to school, got married, had my daughter. And then at 26, I was like, I've wasted all this time doing other things for other people or trying to be a wife to in an unhappy, unhealthy relationship and yada, yada, yada. So I was like, you know what? I've survived all this stuff up until now. And whatever I'm facing can't be any worse than where I came oh, from. No yeah. chance. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. were just surrounded yeah. by chaos and pain. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no it, chance, man. That will redefine fear for yeah. you. Yeah, like anyone who knows me, I um, they're like, "How did you get to where you're at?" or whatever that may be, mm-hmm. or her starting her business, or us just doing our own journey. Yeah. Um, and my answer is always to them, like, you can always go back to what you were doing. Absolutely. There's always a spot. If you were good at it, go back and yeah. do it. But you can never retract. You can't bring back time. Mm-hmm. You can't say, I wish I would have, or, or you could. It's just you're never going to know yeah. unless you try it. It was, um, it was a crazy experience. So three days after this bank robbery, I met a girl on a reality TV show audition. I was like, I'm going for it. I'm going for everything. <laughs> everything. Yes, I'm going to be on broke. reality TV. I'm doing art. I'm doing it all. You just I love randomly. it. So before the bank robbery happened, I was contacted on MySpace. Remember that? Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> by someone who was a, rec- <laughs> a recruiter yeah. for um, a reality TV show called Stylista on the CW network, and so I had already been talking to them. So the reason for my big Gwen Stefani mohawk was I was going. Um, to meet her for an interview that day. That day? Yeah. Wow. And um, I'd gone into the bank early so I could wrap everything up and then leave. And so I ended up doing my audition two days later after the bank robbery had happened. So I'm sitting next to this jazzy girl who is so beautiful. She doesn't even look like she goes number two. I was like, I don't know (laughs) where you came from. You like fell out of the sky. So we're sitting there talking. We're filling in our paperwork. And it says that you have to sign over the rights to your story, to your life. And that they have the ability to change your life the way they see fit for the reality TV show. That's why I said, I'm not doing this. I just got held hostage in a bank robbery, and I'm going to tell my story. She goes, I know. I'm actually writing a book right now. My dad murdered my mom. (gasps) Oh, my God. So her, I was like, girl, you're my friend. Let's talk. And so talking to her, she's telling me the story about her parents, and it sounded like my relationship with my ex-husband at the time. Yeah. And I was like, see, girl, like, we can't – we lived and survived for a reason. Like, we have to be able to tell these stories. So she goes, you know what? I'm just going to go through with this audition. She goes, will you wait for me? I said, okay, yeah. I felt like a dude at that time waiting for a girl to, like, give me her number. <laughs> I was like, I don't know why, but I feel like we need to be friends. And so I waited for her, and I just folded up my paperwork and was like, I'm not doing this. So I waited for her. She's still my best friend to this day. Wow. And um, oh and she gosh. is currently writing a book about her dad was a detective in Topeka, Kansas. Oh. And her parents were splitting up, and he came over, and uh, she was laying in bed with her uh, mom hold, and holding her hand. She hid, and the dad had broken in. Long story short, he shot the mom oh. and then turned it on himself. And she yeah. was hiding under the cover. So she just kind of felt her hand go Holy limp. Shit. So we're sitting there talking about all this, and I'm like, I've gone through similar situations, like these so crazy traumatic things. And I was like, yeah, I um, I really feel like I need to do something like with my life other than what it is that I'm doing. I feel like I'm just, and I'm sure everybody can relate to this, where you feel like you're just existing. You're not really doing what it is that you want. You've kind of given up on that hope. And yeah. you're just kind of living for that paycheck every 1st and 15th. Yeah. And so... I didn't make it onto the reality TV show, <laughs> but I had started my website. I went to go work for another uh, national mortgage bank company, but it's in an office building mm-hmm. while I built up my company and um, just started going to networking events as if I was still a mortgage broker and was just telling anybody who would listen. I would put up my my business cards at like Starbucks and just tell them, hey, look, I'm doing this new thing. It's really cool. And I had nothing to lose. Yeah. It was like. You know what? I lived through all this crazy crap. I'm doing what I want now. You know, so many people find other people and make their businesses work through networking. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely hate it. I don't really even <laughs> do it myself. She, she loves it. I mean, it's in her personality. Yeah. But I'm like, if it were just up to me just to go randomly meet people, unless it was for um, something I'm really interested in. Yeah. Where I'm like, oh, I just want to go BS, you know, like with people. Baseball. Then I could do Some, it. Yes, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. we literally, I joke and laugh about this because there are times where I'm like, oh, the mayor just showed up and I'm referring well, to him. Because depending <laughs> on the interest or the topic, this the community, you know, he will know everyone. 
And I'm like, I've never seen these people in my life. We have been together my, since we were 20. Yeah, How do I not know like, these hundred people? What is happening my, here? My sons will be like, where do you know them from? Yes. And I was like, oh, so-and-so. They're like, you just run into these random people all the time everywhere? I was like, well, I don't know that many. They're like, every time we go somewhere, you meet, you know. Anyways. Yeah, that's my dad. Yeah. My um you know, my dad was a, a high school baseball coach in football. Yeah. And um, he, we were going down an escalator in California, and this other guy was, like, coming up, and he's like, Coach Reese. I'm like, we're like, what the heck? <laughs> and he goes, Woodrow, East Dallas, you know, um, just pa- crossing paths. My dad's been also in, like, other countries in Latin America, and somebody knows him. Or six degrees of separation, my dad knows something about somebody. And then we're like, yeah, I know that person. And they just connect through baseball. Do you know how much that is going to happen to you? And probably already does, but just thinking about oh, yeah. how networked, and I hate that phrase networked, but because yeah. you have a real substance approach to like the people that you connect with. And now you're talking multiple countries yeah. and like, it's funny, like certain circles, entertainment is one of them. It's a weirdly small world. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the craziest thing, you know, like how frequently I guarantee that starts happening for you in oh. airports or so-and-so knows so-and-so and blah, 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 blah. Like, it's going to be so fun. So when did your career really take off, you know, full bore where you're like, oh, wow, I just made it? Yeah. What was your breakthrough or, yeah, how did it take off? Or do you still off? think, well, I still can make it more? Well, or what, what's that look like? Doesn't everyone it, think well, I know. It's because it's so crazy. So success, I always say that the bank robbery was my aha moment. It yeah. was my, my come to Jesus. Right. Well, within eight, within eight months of me leaning into my purpose and my authenticity, uh, I was filming um, a feature film in New Mexico. I had been signed to a modeling agency, which typically takes people about 10 to 15 years. And I was already working on celebrities. My first job wow. was working with MSNBC with Diana Orlick, who um, was interviewing the president of Fannie Mae. Right up my wow. alley, right? I've been doing yeah. mortgage, buddy, for eight years, you know. Um, so I felt really in my element. So my first TV job out the gate was MSNBC. Wow. But I still felt oh this imposter God. syndrome. Like it didn't belong there. Yeah, did you feel like you were kind of faking it till you made it? You know, because yes. you're like, well, make, <laughs> like, come on, like, mm-hmm. shouldn't anybody be able to do this? I've been doing makeup since I was a kid. I I had no idea. So my I tell everybody my life is this series of traumas and dramas. So <laughs> and it, it's like you can't even make this stuff up. People are like, no, what? And so. We'll come, probably come to this later, but I've traveled the country as a celebrity artist teaching classes, and they always ask me, like, how did you get to where you are? And I literally tell people it's like stepping in dog poop at the park. It was <laughs> absolutely by, by chance that it, just the right step, putting one foot in front of the other, I just made this, like, magical connection. Well, it was happened. putting yourself out there. Yeah. I think it was just putting it into motion. And what I tell people is like, you can want it, but then when you want it almost more than like wanting air, like I felt like I had to succeed at it because I had no other choice. So by this time that I left in the banking world, um, I was going through my divorce. I had a small child to look after and I had no income and I wasn't getting any child support because obviously her dad got arrested. So, um, I had I had no choice but to make it happen. And so when you when you look at it in this way, if you have no doubts, fears, or anything, it's just what do I have to do? Just forward motion. You have to just absolutely want it. It's just that forward thinking, that forward motion absolutely, that um, I think it kind of falls into place. And it, there's a difference between that and forcing things. Yes. Do you see what I'm saying? I love that you're saying this. Because people will have this idea of how they feel like their life needs to be, and they try to take control over it. And instead of having faith, they're leading with fear. Rather than with love, they're they're leading with uh, fear and doubt, and they're doing it out of pure... Um, fear that they're not going to be able to make it. That self-reliance and mm-hmm. just the sheer power of their will mm-hmm. can force success. And 
it's not how it works. And like, we are fed a load of garbage. Yeah, that that's picked, true. Do you think you picked up some of these traits from your father being a coach? Absolutely. I'm actually writing a book with my dad right now. I didn't know that, by the way. <laughs> I mean, at but, all. I, I hardly know anything about so, your history. So amazing. Any of it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he, um, I'm, I'm working on a book uh, in regards to the power of positivity, perception, and mindset. Right. Yeah. Um, so we can go through these traumas. So my life that I had, I should probably be on welfare or lay down somewhere like indigent. Like if I just let every bad thing consume me, where would that take me? I would have no belief in myself. I would have low self-esteem. I might be in another dysfunctional relationship with another abuser. I might be on drugs somewhere. Um, I might still be in the system. Um, So uh, it's taking those things and there's a difference between lying to yourself, obviously, but also finding the silver lining. There is an education in every experience, uh, good or bad. So I looked at the bank robbery as my God experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I could look at it. I gave gratitude to the man who held me at gunpoint. Because if it was not for him, I would still be wasting away in a cubicle doing something I absolutely hated. And it felt like my soul was dying and I was losing my purpose and I was just in autopilot. And I knew that I never wanted to be in that place ever again. And so I ran with that. I ran with what happened to me with my ex-husband was allowing me to grow as a person, um, to find myself. Like what kind of eggs did I like outside of what my husband liked? Yes. Um, What kind of woman am I? Because I, I went from being a young girl to like getting married at 22, 23. And I yeah. thought I knew everything and I, yeah. I didn't, I hadn't seen the world. Like, so it was an opportunity to be free. So I looked at every instance like that. I just love the boldness of your spirit in regards to that, because you did make a choice mm-hmm. to do that though. Like, you know, I think potentially there's some sort of spiritual gifting that maybe mm-hmm. helps you lean towards that and see God in all things, mm-hmm. but it, you still had to do your part. Yeah. Like you still had to decide that you were going to show love to these dark spaces in your life, in yeah. your heart, in your mind, in your past, to people that were truly physically dangerous and, and harmful to you. Yeah. I have a hard time with that. I oh. never... I hold animosity... And anger, mm-hmm. like it's hard for me to let that go. So for me, I was not a believer. I completely fell out of my relationship with the whoever you celebrate, whoever it is that you pray to, right? Yeah. I was like, there is no one. There is no, no omnipotent being that is going to save me because why would they let me go through all these super horrible things, Yeah. right? I know now it's to connect with people and to be able to help them, but that I wouldn't be able to talk to a drug addict who is homeless had, had I not been homeless and in a domestic violence shelter myself mm. or had gone through these super perilous things where I felt like I had no hope, but yet I came out on the other end. So I couldn't speak to any of those things or connect with people. But at the time, I was like, there is no God. There is no nobody because I'm going through these terrible things. And I held on to so much resentment and so much anger. And what I found was... I was getting more and more of the things that I didn't want. So someone, I uh, had to go to therapy <laughs> through uh, no <laughs> the, this domestic violence well, how, program. Like, Thank God. <laughs> well, For what they somebody t- to commit to therapy is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like not everybody can just do that. Um, yeah. True. So, so I was true. being made to do it. Oh, uh, um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So whenever I left my uh, my ex-husband, and it was uh, kind of like this period of time, I, in order to stay in the domestic violence shelter, uh, that's a whole nother Oprah of how I even got there. But um, you had to participate in some sort of group therapy. You could yeah. just sit there and listen. But someone said something so profound, and she was like, holding holding on to uh, anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Oh, yes. So it's like wow. you're just killing yourself slowly. Wow. And I felt heavy. I was carrying all of the problems that my parents had within their marriage. I was the oldest child and my mom's confidant, really. So I held everything with them. I held everything with, you know, wanting to make my parents happy. Yeah. 
I held everything with my own dysfunctional relationships. And I was just carrying all this resentment and all this anger. And I was finding that the more I held on to, the more terrible things were happening to me. And so I sat there and I was like, okay, um, I don't, I don't even know that it was like a, a conscious journey. I think these things happened that really opened up my eyes. It was almost losing my life. It was almost, you know, to like, okay, I'm going to change. And I went on this like eat, pray, love journey, if you will. It was, yeah, super weird. <laughs> it was like this out-of-body, like spiritual experience where I knew I was going to survive that moment, but what was I going to do with that chance? Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? It's so you. It was like, I don't, I don't want to waste I didn't want to waste that. But I was absolutely terrified because I was also a very sheltered kid. I was, I'm was i actually very shy, like painfully shy. And I didn't know how to talk to people, stick up for myself, or to even be an, an adult. Yeah. I was still so young. So how many brothers and sisters do you have? You said you're the oldest. Yeah, so I have one brother and I have one sister. And I was tasked with watching them and like being like the leader, yet I had yeah. no idea how to do that. Yeah. So working in mortgage, like I have to say with working at Citibank, I had to um, go through like these different workshops and how to become a leader or um, at the time I had a friend who was like, I'm going through this thing. It's called life enrichment boot camp, And so sure, I'm, I'm going to go with you. Yeah, sounds totally. Amazing. And in the first 10 minutes, I cried. <laughs> <laughs> I love so it. So it's like learning our coping mechanisms, our face, our, our front, if you will, that we put up to other people. And so what I found out is since I am so shy, I put up this like front of like humor. So they paired me with this guy. His name is John. John was being um, emotionally abused by his wife. And had been so totally I. emasculated. Oh, I'm just, no. I and so we had to stare at each other for 10 minutes. Ooh. And so it was. Without like, saying a word? Not and at looking all. Looking each I'm other out. in the eyes. Being Ooh. this far apart, like maybe six, maybe like a foot apart. I don't know if I can make it so 90 what seconds. Did this accomplish besides awkwardness? Um, it was peeling those layers away because he's just staring at me, and I felt like he pierced every mask that I tried to put up of protection. Wow. And at first I was like trying not to laugh, you know, the game you play with your yeah. brothers and sisters, like, you know, um, and then it was painfully awkward. And then I just cried. I didn't know what else to do. I was what like, was he, doing? Oh my God. he was, it was almost like, because I was smaller than him, it was almost, he was just peering through my eyes and into my soul. And I felt like it was almost intimidating. He was kind of being creepy, or he was well, just I guess staring. Not saying anything, yeah. um, and he was staring down at me, and I felt so small. And I all of a sudden reverted back to being the small child and being like scared. Wow. And so th the purpose of the exercise was to kind of just peel away all those layers. Let's, you're not John, who is this executive, like now, because what they were trying to do, and I fully believe in this now, is your internal, let's say, shadow self, as Carl Jung says, you're this shadow self, all of these things that you tell yourself, the internal wounded child, all of that comes out and affects you in some way with in business mm. and your success. Amen. I can see that. So, sure. you know, having these fears of like this or have, being this child without a voice or this and that, I all of a sudden reverted back to this place. And so working through that, really doing the work, I knew that I wasn't going to be a successful entrepreneur or successful person until I got rid of all of these fears um, and all of this negative tape and all these lies I was telling myself about myself, um, you know. There's just, a lot of good work yeah, going stare. into like the things that you would need, building the tools and the insights that you would call upon someday in yeah. total trauma. What's crazy is I finished that life enrichment boot camp at the end of 2007. So I completed this boot camp between the time that I got raped and the time that I wrecked my car. No. So not only am I going through all this oh. trauma stuff, I decided, hey, let me unearth every bad thing I've ever been through. And so I was also 
processing all of this emotional crap. So as I'm driving, of course I pulled out in front of somebody. I didn't know where the hell I was. No. I was, you know what I mean? So yes. it was crazy. That and was I, probably the best thing for you to try to figure it out why it was going on. Mm -hmm. Besides to sit there and soak in it. Right. You know, looking back on it. I have no idea how I came through all of that, but I would get asked by other artists or other hair and makeup artists, like, how, how did you come through this? Or how did you do this? Yeah. And it's really this, I mean, it's kind of woo woo to say, Oh, power of positivity, you know, but you either have two choices. You're going to let it swallow you and die. And like I said, my reality, how I broke that all down was becoming a drug addict, you know, dependent on all these p pills, Band-Aid, depression, whatever it is, or I can get to the root of the problem and actually fix it. Mm -hmm. So I just got down and dirty and was like, I don't, I, this is so horrible feeling. I've got nothing to lose. I just don't want to go through this anymore. And so it was like, shit, I, I got to fix myself and I don't want to end up like, all of these yeah, other statistic. yeah statistic yeah. yes you you know to go back to staring at somebody for 10 minutes straight and you didn't know this person before <laughs> i had right? never met mr okay. john before and then he it's all find me yeah. it's all about what you think of yourself oh I was, you could be the strongest person absolutely. in the world just staring at somebody mm -hmm. and them not know it until the time you broke down and cried in that and they knew then Oh, okay. My mind. I'm going to take advantage. If that was a person mm -hmm. that they were, well, I'm going to sit here and be stronger and take advantage of that. Oh, totally. Or they could have cried with you if they're that, if they're that type of person. Em empathetic or whatever. Yeah. He but was, if you have two personalities that just sit there and stare and have no emotion, that would be awkward. Yeah. It was freak. I think he felt empowered because he was otherwise yeah. um, stripped of that mm, within his relationship. Yep. And then... I brought my own self down with my own mind mm -hmm. of all of those things that I was telling myself. And don't we do that almost every day in business? You know, we're fighting oh, yeah. to climb that ladder or yes. that business deal or whatever. You know, not everybody is able to like hype themselves up. We get really scared and it's that imposter syndrome that kind of sets in. And in business, it's easy because everything's gauged off a number for mm -hmm. the most part. Or success is, mm -hmm. to, especially the upper management. It's like, oh, did you Absolutely. hit your number or not? Yeah. And when you don't, you're like, crap, I failed. Yeah. You know, there's no in between. It's like, I tried everything I could, just missed the mark this time. Well, I'll make it up next time. And, you know, you can do it to yourself, too, because, I mean, yeah. I have well, struggled with that so much. Into that vortex of negativity is mm -hmm. what I was. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I mean, like, just defining yourself, like, allowing whatever randomness to become yeah. your identity, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And anchoring to that instead of, like you said, going deep, you know, and, it, you know, just the nuances that show up. I mean, I laughed early in my entrepreneurial journey where I always felt like, wow, this is just a gigantic magnifying glass for all of my crazy mm -hmm. because yeah. Any of my weird hangups, like the patterns that I would play yeah. out, like those, you know, that shadow self, that child would come out and I would just look around being like, there it is again. And that means I'm doing this like, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just crazy. And sometimes just there's deeper, deeper lessons as you go on. Like I had this one only about six months ago where I was running and, um, like to your point, that's a whole Oprah thing about why I run and what happens when I do because I can't listen to God long enough when I'm sitting still because I never Amen. sit still. Mine's my shower. So, okay, yes. Like <laughs> so it's I a, get it. When I'm running, I can't do anything else mm -hmm. except run and listen. Yeah. And so I was working through some stuff that was coming up about you know my childhood and I mean nothing terribly painful, just stuff that I trip myself up on, yeah. right? And, you know, and thinking about identity and I'm a believer, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I mean, I'm a child of God. And all of a sudden in my heart, I was, I mean, I was like roaring and I was like, no, I am not a child of God. 
I am my father's daughter. And I mean, I freaking lost it. I must have looked like a maniac. I am running down the street, <laughs> bawling. But it was so profoundly I've been there. Yes. I mean, <laughs> like it was so powerful. Woman. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, there's just so many layers to those words and that small difference. And I'm not kidding, like something really deep like snapped for the better, Mm -hmm. like broke loose is a better way to put it where I needed, you know, a new definition, you know, and like, you know, like to the core of how I saw myself and it was just, you know, long runs can do that for a lot of people. Well, we both done, you know, I've done a marathon. She's done long runs as well. And training form is, it's brutal. I don't like it anymore. But um, being in that community, when you talk to people, the, the, some of the things you find out is um, it, it strips you down physically oh, yeah. and mentally. Mm-hmm. So whatever you're deep down inside, if you don't have headphones on and you're just thinking inside of your own mind Ooh. and you're out there for an hour and a half or two hours on, on a training day without anyone else around you, mm-hmm. You can drive yourself crazy. Absolutely, man. You And you can get to the source of a lot of things, mm-hmm. too. It's weird how those things work. Some people use, like, psychedelic drugs or sure. things like that where it will be like, all right, yeah. let's get to the root of this. Um, it can happen forward. in um, when you push your body and exert it past that point where it should, where you, n- most people don't ever go. Mm-hmm. Um it's a weird experience. It's like it's a meditative experience. It is. Yes. It can be yeah. very yep. much so. So I used to meditate in the airport. Oh, that's a tough place. Oh, let me see. Because of how people look at you. Um, yeah. If you're parano- paranoid about how people view you at airports, oh, at this point, I gave zero shits. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as much shit so as I've been through. Did you lay down or were you sitting list. upright at least? So okay. I, I would actually, I would either, uh, like if I was in a layover, you know, everybody's sleeping. They yeah. don't know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. So I, or I would do something like that on the plane. And um, I had done this yoga class. It was like a Bikram yoga. So it was like a thousand degrees in there. Yeah, we and they're know telling it really me, well. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> yep. focus, let the sweat fall. Don't touch your don't face. Touch. Don't itch. So it's powering don't through fidget. That. Yes. yes. So I'm like, okay, if I can do that, then I can, I'm going to practice doing this. So tuning everything else out and sensory and everything. And so I feel like whenever you run, you have to power through that hip hurting or that knee hurting or that shin splint and it's like the power of the mind right yeah. yeah and that's what it's like trying to succeed in business yeah it does i completely agree with you're you. wading through your own bull crap yes like mud yes like, focus you have blinders and it's like that's it and that's what i try to explain to people it's not just the pure yep. wanting no we're trying to force the thing no. to happen it's listening you almost have to be Rather than praying and telling God what you want, why not listen, right? Why not listen to what he has for you? Because you're still trying to drive the bus. You're not Mm. letting him. You're not going by faith. You're going by fear. And that's what control is. Yes. And so that was the thing that I was like, okay, I have to do it. And this way I've got to listen. I love it. And one other thing to add to that is um, when you wake up in the morning, Mm -hmm. just like business, and you're like, I have to run 10 miles today to accomplish my goal long term because okay. I know my roadmap of what it's going to yeah. take. Same way in business. There's going to be days you get up in the morning where you're like, shit, I don't want to do this. Nope. But guess what? You have to do it if you want to accomplish that goal and if that roadmap's set in place to go do those things. Man, it is shocking to the opportunities that come up because you saw something through. I am. Yeah. Always mind blown that a lot of times when I feel like, oh gosh, I just cancel this meeting Mm -hmm. or you know what? It won't be the end of the day if I, or the end of the world, if I just cut out at 3 PM for a change. Yeah. And it is amazing that when you keep your ass in that seat, surprisingly, a meeting will turn into something that is a game changer, a person that desperately needed you like we'll be on the other side or vice versa. Mm-hmm. I mean, like it is always surprising to me, like so frequently there is some sort of important thing waiting for you she'll when you a, decide to stick to it. Yeah. She'll have a dinner planned on a Thursday after 12 hours a day or whatever it may be. And we're like, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this at six or seven o'clock? We just woke up at four this morning. Yeah. It's been all week or almost all week. 
and we're like, let's do it. And then all of a sudden, after that dinner, you're like, oh my gosh, look what we just got out of that. Thank yeah. God we you went. Know, it's just, you got to follow through. Yeah. yeah, you have to follow yeah. through, but also just listening. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, so for instance, I didn't want to go to this dinner, and I'm like, God, if I could just cancel it, I really want to go home and get in my jammies. But then there, I'm, I keep hearing like the snagging thing to like go. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then like on the way there, you end up going a different way. You end up thwarting like an accident or yeah, whatever. And yeah. then you end up getting there, and then there's like this person that maybe not they're helping you, but you're helping them. It was yeah. just your story or the conversation, and they're like, "Man, that impacted my life so much." And yeah, yeah, that whole interaction, that whole everything would have never happened had you stayed at home in your jammies. Yes, and you know, and so it's just listening to that internal voice, if you will. Yes, to, like push yourself. Well, to go every year, like I get a word that basically anchors the theme for my next twelve months, mm. and it's wow. interesting because it would. It is very tempting to create my own theme, you know, like, oh, you know, as an example, we're going to be empty nesters next year, like really rapidly. Oh. oh yeah. All four of them will leave at the same time. It's crazy. So like we have so much. And so it would be so easy for me to choose a theme like change or metamorphosis or right. evolution and, you know, and to choose my own and in similar scenarios in the past years. But to your point about listening, mm -hmm. like trying to find out like, okay, actually where is life wanting to take me? Like mm -hmm. where is God wanting to take me? And so this past year we had a whole bunch of goals. We um, had proved to have a lot of resiliency, um, you know, after COVID. Mm -hmm. And so our business had actually gotten stronger. And so entering 2021, I mean, there was just a lot of optimism and, re and momentum going into that. And the word that kept coming up, and I mean, in my heart, on my runs, in the books that I was reading, in the conversations that I was having was the word truth. Wow. Over, and I'm like, is my word truth? Why would you give me that word? And it's one of my core values, but I'm like, it's kind of a scary word. Why are you wanting me to wrestle with the word truth? Like what? This, like, what is that even about? I don't have any issues in my life related to like an absence of truth or I didn't think so. And so I'm about a month into the year and I think my word is truth. Like I'm feeling like pretty heavy with this, but I don't know what to do with that. You know, yeah. trying to force, trying to figure it out. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, but I'm starting to come to that. And through a weird scenario, um, I was introduced to a gentleman that turns out to be a bishop of a church that I do not attend on the East Coast. And I'm not on the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we actually strike up a very strange friendship. And we finally get on a call. We were in a cohort together. And we get on a call like one-to-one -one just to kind of get to know each other. And he said, just every time I think about trying to get to know you, I just really wonder what the truth of Dacia is. What? If you strip away the titles, the to-dos, the accomplishments, you know, your definitions as a wife, a mother, a sister, a daughter, like, who's the truth of Dacia? Girl, I burst into tears. Like, with this near stranger, like, bawling on the phone. He's like what is going on now, thankfully, because he's a man of God. Apparently that kind of stuff is not surprising <laughs> to somebody who's been doing it that long. But I was like, okay, my word has been truth. And so we have had so many interesting things happen this year. But that listening and like constantly just going back to, wait, 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 what am I supposed to be listening mm -hmm. for? What's the truth of this scenario? It has been miraculous, you know, I mean, from a soul perspective and also from a paying attention mm -hmm. perspective. But I mean, I could not, I mean, I just love what you're saying about there's things like right around you all the time instead of forcing it, but that are inviting you and pulling you towards something significant. But, you know, you've got to be willing to let go with that. Thank you so much for joining us. If you thought that was interesting, you are not going to believe what else Cher decides to uncover and dive into on part two of our conversation. Don't miss it. If you enjoyed this episode of the Corporate Caffeine Podcast, please help us help you by subscribing. I also hope you'll find us on social media. You can follow me, Dacia Coffee, and my company, The Marketing Blender, by searching us on your favorite platform or checking out the show notes for the links. 
We bring this to you because we envision a business world full of meaning, connection, and prosperity for us all. Until next time, onward and upward.